Well, before I begin, I just wanted to take a moment to introduce to you Bryn over here. Um, and Sarah's already done that. Bryn, as we said before, Bryn is my brother-in-law. He offered early in the week to, to paint while I preach. Um, and he asked that we think of him as a visual scribe this morning. He's capturing the, the spoken word in the service on canvas. And our desire together is that this would be a collaboration uh, between the both of us. So I want to invite you. You are free to, to watch Bryn as he paints um, and as we both share with you this morning. And at the end of the service, as was said before, uh, Bryn will have an opportunity to share a little bit more about his work. Eight hours, 51 minutes, and 24 seconds. Does anyone know what that refers to? You can, you can say it out loud. I see Jamie. Yes, very good. Yeah, that was the total length of daylight on December 21st of this last week, what we call the winter solstice. It's that time of year when the northern hemisphere has reached its maximum tilt away from the sun. December 21st offers us Vermonters a full six hours and 40 minutes less daylight than the longest day of the year, its counterpart, June 21st. And I don't know about you, but for me, I always like that point when we get beyond um, December 21st. Because I know that even though the colder temperatures, there may be colder temperatures or snowy and overcast days still to come, I can make it through the winter. Because each day, the light lasts a little bit longer. Maybe you can relate to that feeling of waiting and longing for days of warmer temperatures and longer light. Well, during the last four weeks of Advent, we've been practicing waiting, which is actually what we're called to do for the entirety of our life, between the joy of Christ's first coming and our anticipation of his return. We're waiting for the light, waiting for things to be made new. The light has come, and this we celebrate. But the light hasn't yet dawned in every corner. I know many of us, even this Christmas, may have experienced disappointment or grief, anxiety, loss, or longing. Maybe this Christmas hasn't looked quite like you anticipated or hoped. Or maybe you're experiencing a bit of the Christmas letdown. We uh, talked about this with our kids after all the presents were opened yesterday. And how that feeling that we sometimes feel points to our longing for eternity. And the lasting joy and rest that will come. Christ has come, but the world is not yet restored. This truth is captured so well in the words of the carol, it came upon a midnight clear. In verse 1, the angels 
sing of the good news of the light of the world. And in verse 2, the, we're told that the song of the angels is still floating over the weary world. And by verse 3, we here and now are described by the hymn writer as those beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low. And we're beckoned to hear the song that the angels are still singing. There's a recognition that Christ has come, but we're waiting for all things to be made right, made new. And so we wait still with the presence of the Holy Spirit and the hope of Christ's return. So today I want to ask, how do we wait? I believe how we wait matters. This morning I want to invite you to open your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 21. There won't, the scripture won't be on the screen this morning, so you're welcome to um, follow along in your Bibles. Luke chapter 2, verse 21. As Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple to dedicate him and to meet the purification requirements of the law. And it's in the midst of this ordinary routine ceremony that Luke records an extraordinary encounter with two people, Simeon and Anna. And as we watch Simeon and Anna this morning waiting for the first advent of Jesus, I think we can glean some insight into how we are to wait for the second coming of Christ. So here's three things I want to offer in answer to the question, what does faithful waiting look like? We're invited to wait with longing. We're invited to wait with watchfulness. And we're invited to wait in obedience. So let's read Luke chapter 2, verse, beginning in verse uh, 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, 
which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let's pray together this morning and ask the Lord's blessing as we look into his word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for... um, this encounter, this extraordinary encounter at the temple. Lord, I ask that you would be with us as we open your word, as we look to it today. Um, Lord, that you would speak, that we would be attentive to your Holy Spirit, and that we would be watchful for what you are doing. We pray all of this in your name. Amen. Well, it's interesting to me that we're told exactly what Simeon and Anna are waiting and longing for. For Simeon, it's the consolation of Israel. And for Anna, it's the redemption of Jerusalem. We have to take a step back and understand the longings of the first century Jew in historical context. In the centuries Prior to Jesus' arrival, there's been an increasing push toward Hellenization, a push to give up Jewish identity and tradition in favor of the adaptation of Greek culture as a way of gaining power, wealth, opportunity, and influence. Judea at this time has been a place of political unrest and economic instability for many generations. And with the powerful Roman Empire now in place, Judea is ruled by client kings who care more about keeping peace with Rome than caring for the needs of the people. I imagine many faithful Jews in Israel would be asking, How can God be faithful to his promise when these events keep happening in history? Yet Simeon and Anna, I have to believe, are looking back further than the past three centuries when they speak of waiting, longing for consolation 
and redemption. Simeon's longing is beyond the temporal, nationalistic, political comfort from the threat of Roman power and rule. And Anna's longing for redemption, release from bondage, extends beyond the walls of Jerusalem. Their longings are rooted in the rescue plan of God since the garden, the promise that the offspring of the woman would crush the serpent's head, a longing rooted in God's covenant to Abraham and his promise of offspring more numerous than the stars in the sky. Simeon has caught this promise. He's been given a vision of God's kingdom that extends beyond the nationalistic hopes of Israel, a vision of good news to all people, stretching even beyond the Roman Empire. As he holds up this child, the light of the world, he says, this child is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. The good news in every time and in every place for all people, not just Israel. God's comfort has come for all. That's what Simeon is waiting and longing for. This child will be a comfort to all who believe because through him we find consolation in our grief, comfort in our eternal longing. In verse 38, Anna speaks to all those who are looking forward, which is the same word as waiting, all those who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna is speaking to those who are longing for God's rescue from the bondage of sin. This baby, this child, will rescue all who believe because through him we have forgiveness of sin. We are released from what binds us. Like Simeon and Anna, where might we be longing for God's comfort, ultimate comfort? Where are we longing to see God's redemption? In reflecting on the longings of Simeon and Anna, the lines from O Little Town of Bethlehem kept coming back to me again and again. In thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. What are our hopes and fears of the present day? Our eternal longings that can only be met in Christ. So we see that Simeon and Anna were waiting with longing, but they were also watchful. We also need to watch while we wait. For Anna, it's implied that she's watching because she notices the king is here, coming up to them at that very moment. She speaks in the temple courts to all of those who have been watching with her for the light. And for Simeon, how many babies do you think he would have seen? Held by parents in the crowded streets of Jerusalem as they make their way to the temple. According to what Luke tells us, every mother of a newborn had to come to the temple for purification. And the firstborn male in every family was required to be consecrated to the Lord 
as holy. It's safe to say that Simeon would have seen a lot of babies come through the city. But he's watchful because he's holding on to a promise. In his case, a promise that he would see the Messiah before he dies. For both Simeon and Anna, there's this readiness to action, an expectancy that God would make good on what he has said, an assurance that God will fulfill his promises. It's like they're sitting on the edge of their seat, eyes open, attentive, expectant. For Simeon and Anna, it's not a question of will God show up, but when will God show up? We watch for things that we know are promised and will be fulfilled. Simeon has been watchful, and now he holds in his arms the fulfillment of God's promise, the light of the world. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation. When we watch, we see God at work. So what has God promised to us? Do we watch for its fulfillment? We too have received revelation, promises from God. From John 1, greater is the one who is in you than the one who is in the world. God promises that his light is greater than the darkness. For you this week, what would it look like to watch for the fulfillment of this promise. Lamentations 3. Even in the midst of affliction, God's steadfast love never ceases and his mercies never end. In the midst of our own seasons of lament, are we watching expectantly for God's mercy and steadfast love? Or from Matthew 28, Jesus says, Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Are we watching for signs of his presence, trusting that the promise, his promise to be with us always is true? This past fall with the youth, this watchfulness, is something that we're beginning to practice together. Each time we meet during high school Bible study or middle school Bible study, we've been asking one another this question, what's your hot bread. And Bryn actually, um, this question actually came from Bryn, and I don't know that he knew I was going to mention this this morning, but the idea behind the question, what's your hot bread, is just as God provided bread or manna for the Israelites in the wilderness every single day, how has he provided for you in the past few days in the past week. And we're learning to do this as a community, to be watchful. We're learning to ask, where have you seen God's presence or provision for you in the past week? Are we watching? We long while we wait. We watch while we wait. And we're also called to wait in obedience. As this scene at the temple unfolds, 
we see the intersection of four people who are walking in surrendered obedience to the will of God. Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna, through their obedience and submission, have positioned themselves as participants in what God is doing in this particular time and place. Take a look at Mary and Joseph. Luke tells us that when it was time to circumcise Jesus, they circumcised him on the eighth day, according to Jewish practice. They name him Jesus out of obedience to, what, to the command of Gabriel. And when it was time for Mary's purification, which was 40 days after a Jewish woman gave birth, out of obedience, they come to the temple and they offer a sacrifice. They dedicate Jesus as he is a firstborn male out of obedience to the word of God. Not only that, but we know Mary and Joseph have already been on a journey of obedience from the time of Gabriel's announcement, this journey of surrender. They've surrendered their reputation, and there's a real potential of losing out on family relationships, all because their obedience and submission to the Lord and to his plans. We see this posture of surrender and obedience in Simeon as well. Not only is he described as a devout and righteous man, he's obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We're told, moved by the Spirit, he goes into the temple courts. As he scoops up this baby in his arms, he's obedient to the proclamation of the Spirit, and he overflows with praise in a song of praise. Out of his obedience to the Spirit, he, hold, he speaks words of praise for God's salvation. And out of his obedience, Simeon also speaks challenging words. This light is an exposing light. This light pushes back in the darkness. This light reveals what is in the hearts of people. This light is crushing to those who wish to stay in the dark. This light is not safe, but it is good for those who are longing, those who are waiting. And out of his obedience, Simeon speaks hard words to Mary. It's our first glimpse into the suffering that the Messiah would endure. Mary, you will suffer when you see your son die on the cross. And in Anna, too, we see a life that's been obediently surrendered to God, giving herself to worship, fasting, and prayer night and day at the temple. Through their surrender and obedience, Simeon and Anna got to be a part of the work that God was doing, a part of his coming. Through their obedience and doing the next right thing, Mary and Joseph end up caught in this convergence, this beautiful moment where God confirms the message of the angel Gabriel. For all of them, their obedience flows out of a surrendered heart. As we wait and long for the light of God's kingdom to dawn more fully in our time, and ultimately at the end of time, where might God be inviting us, like Mary and Joseph, 
to be obedient in doing the next right thing? Or where might God be inviting us, like Simeon, to be obedient to the prompting of the Spirit? I want to be careful that our obedience does not just consist of our actions, but it is tightly wrapped up in our heart as well. A life of obedience is a life of surrender, a life that's positioned and ready to be used by God for his purpose, in in service of his timing and his plan. We see this light shine forth in Simeon, Anna, Mary, and Joseph. Two summers ago, I read uh, Corey Tenboom's book, The Hiding Place, for the first time. Um, And I would highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't uh, read it. Corey and her family are in the watchmaking business uh, in the Netherlands. And she and her family ended up helping many Jewish people escape the Nazis by hiding them in her family home in, uh, during World War II. And she recounts amazing story after story of how she was just on this journey of, okay, what's the next thing, Lord? How am I obedient in this particular moment, in this time, in this place? She did not set out to do the work that God ended up calling her into. But she was faithfully obedient in doing the next God-fearing, people-loving, right thing. She and her family held on to a vision of the kingdom that was unwavering, uncompromising, just like Simeon. And they obediently took steps that drew them into something greater, than they could have imagined. So not only are we called to surrender to God in obedience while we wait, we're invited to wait with watchfulness. We're invited to wait with longing. One last question as we consider this passage and as we all await the second advent of our coming king. And that's, who are you waiting with? As the people of God, we don't wait alone. We can't wait alone. We wait together. I love that Simeon and Anna are are like spiritual grandparents to Mary and Joseph and to Jesus. I imagine Mary and Joseph recounting this story of this encounter uh, about Simeon and Anna as Jesus grew up, he may not have even been able to meet them uh, later on in life. Who are the spiritual grandparents in your life? Who are the people that you are longing for comfort and redemption alongside? People who may be grieving and in need of God's comfort. Who are the people you're watching with saying, did you see it? That amazing thing God did, the way that he provided for me. And who is spurring you on in obedience to the Spirit? Or simply obedience in doing the next right, God-fearing, people-loving thing? Who are you waiting with?
When we ask the question, who am I waiting with? We step away from being a soloist and we begin to join a chorus. And we look forward with the prophets to that time foretold as in the carol of it came upon a midnight clear. When peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling. And the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. Let's pray together this morning. Jesus, as we wait for you, we long for your comfort. Lord, we long for the completion of the work you have begun. Lord, we thank you that you have come, that a light has dawned, that a light has come into the world. And as we wait, Lord, help us to keep watch and soften our hearts to surrender in obedience to your will. And we pray this in your name. Amen.